Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I am Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. So Kaylee, we have yet another different kind of episode with the podcast. We have Kate Spees, who is the SVP and GM of Leaf Group's Well and Good, uh, one of their you know, wellness publications. Um, but we kind of have her on twice in one episode. Yeah. So last week's episode, we recorded the episode live at DPS, um, our Digiday Publishing Summit. This week, I'm taking a session from uh, DPS, and I'm kind of elongating it for the podcast because the conversation was just so interesting and really got into the nitty gritty of what it takes to launch a commerce business and even like a, a marketplace as a publisher. Um, you know, Kate had some really great insights um, that I don't think we were able to fully address in in the session itself. Uh, so I wanted to have her back on just to talk more about it, especially because commerce is so important right now for a lot of publishers going into Q4. And well, and good, as you mentioned, like is one of the publications that's been pushing into commerce. What stands out as being unique about how well and good has gone into commerce? Yeah. So one of the things that she really kind of focuses on is how much curation and editorial um, involvement uh, how important that is to creating a, a commerce business. You know, she talks about four years ago starting in the affiliate space um, and then, you know, three years later launching um, a marketplace and then all the things that went into iterating on that model and really focusing on, you know, voice and being very curated. I think that is something not all publishers have really gotten the handle of, you know, there's some other publishers out there who really take curation to heart, like Vice's Rec Room, for instance. But um, in the wellness space, there's so much um, out there that she really says, you know, it's important to be very curated and very, you know, opinionated and, you know, testing the products and all these things. So I think that's a unique kind of approach. And just how they go about doing that is really in depth. Um, and I think that there's a lot that people can learn when launching their own, you know, commerce businesses. Coming up, Kate Spees, the guest so nice. We had her on twice in one episode. Thanks, Kayla. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Kate, thank you so much for joining us on the Digiday podcast. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So you and I actually talked uh, about a week ago or exactly a week ago, um, and we had a conversation at the Digiday Publishing Summit about commerce and building a marketplace um, as a publisher. Um, that conversation was really great. It got pretty granular too. Um, so I wanted to have you back on because there's, I think, a lot more to talk about in this area. Would love if you could start by kind of giving an overview of Well and Good um, and I guess the history of getting into commerce, how you identified this as a business for Well and Good um, and, and what you kind of see as your differ differentiator in this space. Absolutely. So Well and Good has existed for 12 years now as a website, social media platform, experiential platform, and we were really one of the first brands to start covering the then nascent wellness industry. And as the wellness industry has grown, so have we. And so we are now reaching 
millions and millions of people a month really hoping to inform, educate and inspire them around all the different things that impact their well-being. We really believe that wellness should be accessible to all people and that well-being can take many different forms, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, financial in your relationships. And we cover all of that. And we also cover very deeply verticals like beauty, like fit tech, like athleisure, like cooking and food. And every single one of those verticals has really high shopping intent. And really since it was launched, well and good Covering product was core to our DNA. We believe there are lots of things within the well-being sphere that can be done for free and lots of practices that cost nothing. But also there's a real interest among our audience and there always has been in the products and services that can also help them kind of live a well life. And so when I joined the company over four years ago now, the team was already writing about various different products. The editors are very well versed in in their different verticals. And we also work with a really wide range of experts. And all of these people were trying products, recommending them, reviewing them. And I really knew at that stage that there was an opportunity here and there were some other things that we needed to do as a brand first. But over the past couple of years, we've really lent into this opportunity and have just seen exponential growth in the this area of our business because people trust us. We have an authentic voice and the wellness industry is honestly really rife with misinformation. There are bad players out there. There is snake oil out there. And what we have always aimed to do at Well and Good is decode and demystify that space. And the same concept is applied to commerce. So I think our point of differentiation is We really want to make sure that we're only recommending products that are worth people's time and money and that are really efficacious. And we also really want to make sure that we stay true to that mission of being an accessible entry point into well-being. So Goop do an incredible job of curating the space at a very high level. And, you know, they have beautiful products on, on their marketplace, but they're most of them are pretty expensive and we want to make sure that we are really providing an accessible option for people who want to, you know, purchase things to enhance their well-being and don't want to spend a fortune every time. Yeah, right. And I think to the point of Goop, uh, I've covered commerce a a good deal and I've talked to people um, who, uh, I guess on the podcast, a few months ago now probably, um, we had like Harper's Bazaar on and they were talking about products that have a really high price tag and therefore has a really high like commission rate for them. And it's curious um, that, I don't know, like there is a lot of money that you can make in this space, right? Like as a, as a publisher. And I think the focus on accessibility, as you mentioned, and um, testing the products is something that I don't know, might not be the most like appealing avenue to go down when it comes to this. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about like the mission when you were building this business and, you know, what's the price point that you try to stay at? What are some of the products that you really want to focus on and where do you draw the line? Like, because there are products out there that are like, you know, 
you can make your own face mask at home with a machine, but it's like a $500 machine, right? Um, what's your kind of, you know, mission when you're picking things to, you know, feature? Yeah, it's a great question. Our, our Northern Star, as it relates to price point and what we are willing to feature and what we're not is really around value for money. So it's not that we never cover high price items. There is fit tech that we have covered on the site and that we've sold through our website that obviously is incredibly expensive. However, if we are going to do a list of various different at-home spin bikes, we will never do just one option that's incredibly expensive. We will always really make sure that we have great options at various different price points and that we will do the work to find the best option at a lower price point. And then when it comes to areas like beauty, so beauty is an incredibly, um, it performs incredibly well for us. Beauty has been our top performing vertical for a long time. And we have seen that there are amazing products available in the drugstore. And would it be easier for us to scale up our commerce business if we only covered some of the more expensive items and the most expensive serums? Sure, but also it's not authentic to our brand. And when you talk about mission, it's not authentic to our purpose. We really have put accessibility and a more inclusive entry point to wellness at the core of our brand strategy. And I really believe that to move product and to move people down that conversion funnel, you have to have authenticity at the core. We've found that our best performing content as it pertains to conversion is from the point of view of our editors or our experts. And it's people that our audience trust and they trust them because they know that they're not being BSed. And so we could have scaled possibly this business, you know, more speedily if we had really chased an incredibly high AOV. But actually we found that operating, you know, sub $50 on average is is really a comfy spot for us. There is scale there. And, you know, we know that hand over heart, we can say we're providing good options that work at prices that are open to a wider range of people. I guess that said, um, I have a, a few questions around like your growth um, in the the commerce business itself and looking at some of those maybe year-over-year figures. Um, I'm curious, one, how fast this has grown um, and when you initially started realizing that this was a legitimate business because I feel like affiliate especially can be a very slow build, but once it is in motion, maybe three or four years down the line, it's a solid business and revenue stream. What's your experience been with like the speed of which this has become a maybe key business for Well and Good? Absolutely. It it pretty closely follows the trajectory that you just mentioned. So in 2019, we were absolutely laying the groundwork for this business and doing some testing and looking at which verticals perform, what kind of products perform, what level of AOV felt most comfy for our audience. 
over 2020, we really started to scale. So we didn't put any extra resources into this area of the business to start. I wanted to be really sure that there was a there there. I am very much not of the philosophy you know, I really like to make sure something's going to work before we resource it. We're still a smallish team at Well and Good, and I want to make sure that we are only bringing people onto the team that we can keep on the team for a very long time because we know that there's a role for them along a long way into the future. And so really through 2020, we just grew this with the existing team, a lot of work from audience development and a lot of work from every editor on the team, particularly our vertical editors who were really in charge of making sure that commerce was part of their daily, weekly and monthly lineup. And then over 2021 is when we've seen this grow exponentially to the point where I felt comfortable adding dedicated resources. We now have a dedicated editorial team who are working on commerce. We've beefed up our business development and our audience development team to make sure that we are able to continue to hit our goals. And that trajectory is certainly something that I'm looking to continue into 22, 23 and beyond. We see a huge amount of potential upside in this area of the business. Do you have any of those um, maybe like year-over-year figures that you could share or just kind of like, um, I guess, explain like in the past year especially maybe how how exponential that growth has been? Because I feel like that's been the case for most publishers I've talked to regarding commerce, but I'm, I'm curious to see like how significant it was for you. So our growth has been in net revenues and GTV both have been triple digit percentage growth. So our net revenues have grown by 129% year over year and our GTV has grown by 112% year over year. That's year to date. I really imagine that through Q4, those percentage increase numbers are only going to get bigger because we have very, very big plans for Q4. And it's been really significant. That wasn't off a base of nothing either. Mm -hmm. And we're really now seeing this as a very meaningful and serious part of our business and also a really nice way to diversify revenues. We traditionally are a very strong brand on a direct sold front. And I'm really looking to make sure that we're diversifying revenues and in particular that we're diversifying the margins of each of those different kind of revenues. And that's part of why commerce is so appealing to me. I guess, not sure if you break it out like this, but I'm, I'm curious, is commerce now like, you know, contributing a, a sizable chunk of total revenues or is it still an area that um, it sounds like direct sold has been the the key, you know, contributor there? Is commerce kind of competing with the level that direct sold is at now? Or I guess, where does it fall in line It's not at a, it's certainly not at a like for like yet, but there is a trajectory where I can see it getting up to the levels that we see with direct sold. It's, it's going to take a couple of years yet, but it is certainly on a growth path that is incredibly exciting and is one that I think is, is very achievable and also has you know, a whole world of opportunity in terms of not just 
what we're doing on site, but IRL and brick and mortar executions and, you know, well and good kind of owned and operated products and lines as well. So lots of big, exciting plans for the future. The other area I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork for um, before we get into the event session is your building a marketplace, um, the well and good marketplace and and creating that shop. Um, you know, we talk about the logistics of doing it and, and actually launching it, but you also mentioned in that conversation that you're looking to iterate on that um, original design. What were the kind of maybe key learnings or, you know, major takeaways that you had in your first approach to the marketplace and your first approach to commerce in general that you've since, you know, realized and are looking to maybe not fix, but, you know, address and edit um, in subsequent versions of a marketplace or in a commerce strategy as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. There were many of them. I think when we first launched our marketplace, I was very keen to make sure that we were looking at the best of e-commerce across the internet and trying to glean as many learnings from, from them and also all of our experiences of being human beings that shop on the internet. However, we are not a Sephora, we're not a Nordstrom, we're not a Walgreens, we are a content first brand who is really, really good at pairing information and education with conversion. And so a huge learning of mine is why would you ever separate that? And in moving away from our first iteration, which really was index pages of products that many other people operating on the internet can do better than us is moving. We're now moving towards this hybrid model that really reflects our strategy. So the visual UI execution of our marketplace 2.0 will be far more reflective of our strategy where it's truly a content and commerce combined interface. It is a place where people will visit to shop. It still has huge shopping intent. There are still lots of ways to quickly find the products that you want, but we're wrapping it all up in that recommendation in that information, in that education of how to use a product. And we've just seen at every single distribution point, we see the best results when we do go content first, commerce second, or commerce first, but really in a content context. And so with our 2.0 version of the shop, the interface will reflect that learning. Yeah, and I think you mentioned at the top of this conversation that it was the articles that were written by editors that you know were talking about their experiences with the product that were converting the best. Um, so I think that that you know that definitely makes sense um, and does sound like the advantage that publishers have, especially in a extremely e-commerce heavy society right now. That's exactly it. I think that I learned over the past. 18 months, not to try and be something that we're not. And to exactly to your point, lean on the great skill and competitive advantage that we do have working very closely and really observing 
e-commerce brands around the internet, all of them are trying to add content. You know, content marketing is still an incredibly powerful tool. So we're lucky to have that piece. So why not lean into it? Yeah, absolutely. Last question that's kind of picking up from where we left off in the conversation. You're talking about scaling audience and how you're looking at getting audiences that are already readers of Well and Good and making them even you know, stronger converters and and turn them into shoppers, but also reaching people that might not already be in your ecosystem. And I think one of the very interesting things you said or you were starting to get at in that last question was um, using distributed content platforms like Apple News and Flipboard as conversion tools, which seems kind of surprising to me just because I feel like the intent is not to shop when you're on those platforms. It's more so to learn. Um, how do those types of distributed content platforms work for you in this capacity? And do you see them as an area of focus or is it almost serendipitous that people are, are shopping through these mediums? Yeah, it's absolutely the latter. It's been serendipitous. It's They're not necessarily our core focus areas for growth, but we'll absolutely take the revenues. So I think that you are completely correct in that these platforms don't necessarily have a high level of intent. However, because Well and Good has been rooted in service journalism for so long and because, again, we've always had coverage of products as part of our DNA from the start, the large audiences that we have on Apple News and Flipboard are used to coming to us to get information and then also maybe read about a product or see a product reviewed. And so we have just seen without, honestly, with no extra effort that by optimizing that content the way that we do for every platform, we've seen some nice conversions there. And on Apple News in particular, we've had some really runaway hits. We've had big traffic spikes to stories that do have commerce intent on Apple News. And then we do see those those nice conversion metrics. So we're not building the business around it, but absolutely seeing conversions come from every single distribution platform that we operate on. Interesting. Do you see this like opportunity to grow your readership via the commerce content? Because you mentioned in the session that uh, right now it's a lot of well and good readers that are becoming shoppers. Um, Do you see this opportunity to kind of like flip it and have, I guess, more shoppers coming in and turning into like fans of the brand or? Yeah. So I see we still have some work to do to make sure that as many people as possible within our existing audience are shopping with us if they would like to. But I also really want to make sure that we're respecting the people that don't and we're still giving them a ton of content and and value if shopping is not part of their agenda. So exactly to your point, we're looking at, and this is going to be a big focus of next year, of how we grow a really, really dedicated shopping audience, whether that be from the existing audience members, or in particular, as you said, really trying to reach new people. We know that the wellness industry is like four plus trillion dollars. There is so much money being spent in this space. And I think that we can offer value to anyone 
who wants to spend on their well-being but really wants to make sure they're spending wisely, that they are spending with great small businesses, with women-owned businesses, with QT BIPOC-owned businesses, and that everything they're buying is actually going to help them and they're not spending hundreds of dollars on something an influencer recommended on Instagram that isn't actually going to work. So hoping that we can attract new people with, with that proposition. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining me on the podcast and for joining me on stage at DPS. Um, it was great talking to you then. It's great talking to you now. And I look forward to the next time. Yeah, me too. Maybe next week. Yeah, our weekly check-ins. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back. Thanks so much, Kate. That was great. Thank you. Okay, so I think where I want to start is a little bit about your recommendation-based content. So that's kind of how you got into the the e-commerce space. You started kind of with affiliate content um, strategy, but you talked a lot about your editors testing products, making sure all the products are vetted. What's the lift on that? Because, you know, reporters, editors, they're busy. Yep. Um, I'm sure they're already testing these products to a degree, but when you're scaling a new business like this, what was the strategy for getting edit involved? How much time and effort are they putting towards commerce content? That's a great question. They are putting a lot of time and effort towards it, but the, the thing that made commerce not easy, but relatively easy to scale at Well and Good is when I arrived at Well and Good four years ago, everyone was testing products and writing recommendations without realizing they were doing it and without monetizing it effectively. So our beauty editors, our fitness editors, it was really core to our DNA from the start that we would try things before we recommended them. Because in wellness, there is so much that honestly is totally BS and we really want to make sure that we're a place and they can know that any time that they get information from, from us that it's very legit. And so the editors were required to do that anyway. We also don't publish anything to our site unless there has been expert reporting. So we always have you know, quotes from experts. We're always doing interviews for all content. And so really having that in the DNA of the brand meant that commerce recommendations, commerce reviews, commerce product vetting was somewhat easy to scale. However, it is very time consuming. And so we definitely have a longer lead time for commerce stories. There are not a lot of commerce stories that are turned around in a 24-hour time unless someone has already tested the product in their own life and then come to us and say, this is great. The other thing that has been incredibly helpful is we have this very vast expert network. So doctors, nutritionists, fitness trainers, and scientists. And we have them on speed dial, hundreds of them. Each editor has their own contacts, of course. And they're constantly providing us with recommendations that they give direct to their clients. And so something we feel really strongly about is that we're able to make those recommendations also more accessible because it's expensive to see a dermatologist or a nutritionist. However, we're bringing that expert-backed product recommendation to our audience for free. But it's time-consuming. Yeah. So you mentioned it's it's usually not a quick turnaround with a commerce piece. How frequently are you adding new content? Because you said, especially for marketplaces, it's, it's kind of like a 50-50 balance. Yep. Um, how much new content gets produced? And do you think it's really about like 
the number of pieces you have, or are you updating old pieces to constantly refresh and, and maybe surface SEO and things like that? So a combination of both. So we add about five to six pieces of commerce content a day. Mm -hmm. However, it's a month out or two weeks out. So that constant flywheel is happening and there will be a different split each day between the amount of content that is pure affiliate content and the amount of content that's going towards powering our marketplace. A 2.0 version of our marketplace is going to bring all of this together so that there is one really seamless destination for our audience to go to to get both affiliate and kind of the marketplace native shopping experience from us. However, that is a future plan. Stay tuned. But we are, so we're creating a lot of new content, but we also updating and going back through our old content is a huge part of the strategy. And we're also updating multiple pieces of content a day. So we work through it very systematically. It's a combination of our commerce editors and our SEO team. And it's to make sure that we're doing our, you know, putting our best fit foot forward in terms of SEO, but also, again, making sure that the things we said about that product a year ago or 18 months month ago still holds true, that it's still available, that the price point is still there. So it's both kind of a hygiene project and also a, a growth and SEO project. And so you mentioned in your presentation that part of the strategy is testing and testing new verticals in particular. Um, based on like reporting and kind of being in the space for a while, I recognize that affiliate as a revenue stream takes a few years to kind of build up into a strong business. So when you're testing new verticals, how long do you give it before you decide it's working or it's not? And I guess, what do you recommend to people who might be um, experimenting in new verticals um, and, and trying to get commerce to work for them? Yeah, it's a great question because there are also so many things to pay attention to because unlike testing new verticals purely from a content perspective, it's not just traffic. And you also need to make sure that you've kind of gone down every avenue. And so we usually give something three to six months before we just say, okay, this isn't working for us right now. And the thing is, as you know, the internet and people's interest is constantly changing. And so we never take anything completely off the table. We'll always have our core verticals kind of simmering, but we'll scale things up and down as audience interest scales up and down. So an example is around the start of the year, we really see people so interested in fit tech. And so we're starting to see these seasonal patterns, but also just being, we are very good at well and good of looking at data every single day. It's really part of the DNA of our editorial team. And so we'll just constantly be paying attention to what is working in the current time. But if we are testing something net new, or we're starting to see that maybe there's some interest in a vertical, we will give it three months to really make sure that we've given enough time for our SEO strategy to take hold. Also, if what we start out doing isn't working, we'll try some other content formats or some headline packaging, or we'll try diff products at different price points to make sure we've given the vertical the very best chance to perform. Got it. Got it. And I'm curious too, because I think one of the, especially with affiliate, um, one of the considerations is getting a good kind of commission rate on, yep. on products. And I'm not sure in the wellness space what 
traditional rates might be, but is there room to negotiate on those or is it kind of a set thing that you have to just deal with? Absolutely room to negotiate and for a couple of reasons. So with the big traditional affiliate providers, there's some room to negotiate when you're driving enough scale for them, but not a huge amount. And then there's the Amazons of it all where very little room to negotiate. However, we found we have really strong relationships with brands because we have existed in this space for a very long time. We've worked with these people for decades. And so we can usually find an understanding and, and find some competitive commission rates with individual conversations. So that's a whole business development piece of work that also is going on in the background. Got it. And um, I want to touch on the marketplace because I think um, the, the commerce content is a great you know, piece of editorial and, and business that can be built with an existing team. But a marketplace seems like it takes a little bit more of a lift to get that going. And it's also difficult to kind of decide how big to go with it. Do yeah. you think that publishers have a role in um, a larger marketplace that's very expansive? Or do you think it has to kind of be a little bit more honed in and, and very editorially curated? Very much the latter. I strongly believe the latter because I think that there are so many retailers out there doing e-commerce incredibly mm -hmm. and have whole teams, global teams dedicated to making those experiences so incredible for audiences. And so I think for publishers to be successful with marketplaces, they have to really have a need or be solving solving a need that hasn't been solved yet by a big retailer. And so, as I said, I see a real opportunity for us because right now someone has to go to a Sephora or an Ulta or to Athleta directly or Lulu directly or to Theragun directly or to another place to get candles. And outside of Goop, there really isn't anyone curating well-being and wellness products in the way that we would like to and we are a very different proposition to Goop and so we see a huge opportunity but I think having big scaled marketplaces without that heavy curation and without a real reason for being is not not the easiest strategy. Right yeah no I, I it does feel like it's a lot of of work and, and to get into work. the I guess more technical lift of it all. Were you hiring teams to help you build it? Were you working with like a third party to actually do the um, creation of the marketplace? What was the process there and how long did it take you to get that off the ground? So we worked with Bonsai, um, a third party to, to get our marketplace launched and it was exceptionally quick. I think we were their second or I think we we're actually their third partner. And so they were able to get the marketplace built for us in about eight weeks, which is very, very quick. A ton of iteration has, has been layered on top over the last 18 months. Really, we've spent so much work honing and the process we're going through now is actually bringing a lot more in-house because we realized pretty quickly that Bonsai's great and a great partner, but they're always going to have their business priorities and we're going to have our business priorities and we want to be able to control our destiny as much as humanly possible. So we are very lucky that many of our engineers have an e-commerce background and so we're able to bring 
a lot in-house and that's going to make things really much more seamless when we want to build new features and we're in the process of launching a new exciting version of the shop for holidays and that's something that we're doing internally. Yeah, so that makes sense. I'm also wondering too, um, you mentioned holidays. So Q4, I feel like because e-commerce has exploded over the past 18 months or so, especially during the pandemic, people have been thinking about how to make their um, content stand out and and really focus on discoverability there. Um, Are you changing your holiday season strategy at all? Are you kind of moving away from just maybe a reliance on gift guides or how are you approaching that? Yeah, absolutely. We have never gone very hard on gift guides. I think with well-being, it's so personal that honestly most people at all times are looking to buy mostly things for themselves. And so we really see the opportunity around holidays with all of the sales that are on, the fact that people are in that kind of retail mindset. And so we very much, gift guides are part of what we do, but we very much still focus on the individual and the way that they can really optimize their holidays for themselves. And so we see a lot of big ticket purchase items moving over the kind of holiday period. For us, the biggest change this year is it's just starting so much earlier. We're really very much in the process of of thinking about holidays, creating content for holidays. As I said, we're relaunching our shop with a very new holiday look and feel and making sure that that as a destination really fulfills both gifting needs but individual needs and then thinking through our distribution strategy and really leaning heavily into email and social of course but trying to make sure that at those key purchase moments that we're there on all of our different touch points with consumers. And my last question for you, because we're we're coming up on time here, Um, I wanted to talk about discoverability. I think you mentioned in your presentation that newsletters was a really significant um, way of getting people into shopping with you. But I'm curious, especially from the marketplace, are you getting people who don't, you know, read well and good coming to the marketplace? Is it mostly your existing audience that's shopping with you? And I guess, what's your ultimate goal for growing your marketplace, especially because, as you say, it's pretty unique? Yes, absolutely. Great question. Right now, it is, I would say, 90% our existing well and good audience because they are the people that trust us, that know us, that are going to convert because they've known us for a long time. However, the goal is absolutely to expand that footprint. So we will always make sure that our well and good audience on the .com, on social platforms is funneling through to the marketplace as much as possible. But also we're looking particularly for 2022 to start doing audience extension into audiences that may not know well and good, but are looking for these wellness products. And so that's where we're going to use tools and tactics that have been used by e-commerce retailers for a long time, but not necessarily have you know, been employed employed by publishers as much. So definitely an eye to continuing to scale conversion from people in our ecosystem as well as trying to reach new audiences. And just to confirm, is, is newsletters the primary driver there of, of the people who are shopping with you or is it 
coming from different places. It's coming from different places. So newsletter is the place we see the most opportunity because conversion rates are best there, AOV is best there, CTR on anything commerce-related is best there. But right now we're really seeing conversion from everywhere, from Apple News through and search, Discover and, you know, long-tail SERPs through to Flipboard and Instagram and email. So we're seeing that right now our conversion, um, our kind of conversion channels are fairly reflective of where we have traffic. And what we are looking to do over the next 18 months is really grow our dedicated shopping audience across all of those channels and then start to really pull them into the email ecosystem because we know that's where we can communicate best and most directly and also see those really healthy metrics. Got it. Amazing. Well, that takes us to time. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Kate. This was a really great Thank you for having me. session. Great. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode. 